Hello, campus cronies. Welcome back to Campus Crime Chronicles. I'm your host, Nicole Turner, full-time college administrator, part-time college professor, but always a true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or a crime that's associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from one to five on my serious crime scale, with one being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to five being very serious. This episode is rated a five. In September of 2015, UCLA senior Andrea Delvesco lay in her bed, peacefully sleeping, when an unexpected visitor broke into her off-campus apartment in the wee hours of the morning for no apparent reason or motive other than to assault and murder her. Even though an upstairs neighbor heard the commotion, saw a suspicious man near the apartment, and called 911 twice to report what she heard and saw, police initially arrived to the scene but found nothing. They canvassed the area, which seemed quiet, undisturbed, nothing out of the ordinary. So, officers left the apartment complex, but they failed to even knock on Andrea's apartment door or go inside. They would return for a second time, about 30 minutes later, to find Andrea's apartment up in flames. This episode is titled, Unexpected Visitor, The Murder of Andrea Delvesco. So, without further ado, let's get started. Delvesco, who often went by Andy to those close to her, was born on June 29, 1994. Originally from Austin, Texas, Andrea was described by her friends and family as a free spirit with a bubbly personality, and she was known for her eccentric wardrobe and compassionate, loving heart. When Andrea went off to college at the University of California, Los Angeles, or UCLA, it's no surprise that she quickly made new friends and joined the Pi Beta Phi sorority. And according to an article on CNN.com, many of Andrea's sorority sisters considered her their very best friend. In the fall of 2015, Andrea was beginning her senior year at UCLA as a psychology major. Her mom, Leslie Delvesco, said, quote, When Andrea was in high school, she loved learning. She was always reading, going to museums. She was interested in studying psychology. I thought, this is a perfect career for you. You're a natural, end quote. In 2015, Andrea lived in an apartment complex on Roebling Avenue with several of her sorority sisters and her beloved dog, a Chihuahua Terrier mix named Shea Panda. Her apartment was located in the Westview neighborhood of LA, which was officially located off campus, though still just about a block and a half away from the university. And from what I gather, this particular part of Westwood is a pretty common area for UCLA students to live in. According to ABC News, the area is described as a perfect college town with a beautiful picturesque landscape, and it usually feels quite safe and welcoming to the students who reside there. 
On September 20th, 2015, Andrea spent the evening and night hanging out with her sorority sisters at home, drinking wine and preparing for fall rush. According to her roommates, Andrea went to bed early in the morning, around 3 a.m. on September 21st. A few hours later, Andrea's upstairs neighbor and sorority sister, Sarah Muir, was arriving home from taking her boyfriend to the airport. Scott Glover for CNN reported that the clock in Sarah's car read 5.30 a.m. at this time. As Sarah was turning the key to unlock her apartment, she heard a noise on the stairwell below her. She turned and looked and saw a man run away. She mentally noted what he was wearing, a red and blue tank top, dark jeans, and a baseball cap. At first, Muir was a little disturbed about this random encounter, but after talking to her boyfriend on the phone, she decided to shrug it off and go to sleep. According to the reporting of Beth Braden for Investigation Discovery, not long after getting home and settling into bed, Sarah heard screaming coming from Andrea's apartment, which was just below hers. She also heard a dog barking and whimpering. So she quickly sprang into action and called 911, which was around 6.15 a.m., Sarah told ABC News, quote, I woke up because I heard somebody screaming and I heard a dog barking. I called Andy's phone a couple of times. She didn't answer, and I immediately just dialed 911. I just had this terrible feeling, end quote. According to CNN, the high-pitched sounds of a woman screaming can actually be heard on that 911 call. The 911 operator asked Sarah if she could hear the sirens of the police cars approaching. Sarah said, quote, yeah, I hear them. They are getting close. Okay, yeah, they're here, end quote. According to Investigation Discovery, within minutes, four LAPD officers and two police cruisers rushed to the scene with lights and sirens blaring. But when they arrived, which was around 6.20 to 6.30 a.m., they didn't notice anything out of the ordinary. If there was screaming coming from the apartment, all was quiet now. Regardless, they did conduct an exterior search of the complex and even shined a flashlight into Andrea's room and the living room of her apartment. However, the officers observed no one around and they found no evidence of a crime, which means they also did not attempt to knock on Andrea's door or any other apartment door for that matter. A deputy district attorney for L.A. County, Victor Avila, provided some more insight about the LAPD officers' actions when they responded to the initial 911 call. Avila said the officers, quote, did not notice any damage or any signs of a break-in. They did not see anything. And given what they had, they didn't feel at the time that it was necessary for them to knock on any doors. And so, at that point, they left, end quote. But, as you can probably infer, all was not okay inside Andrea's apartment. It was quite the opposite. Just 30 minutes later, around 7 a.m., Sarah dialed 911 for a second time to report that the apartment below hers was on fire. Sarah explained that she heard a loud noise come from Andrea's apartment. She said, quote, So I run to my balcony and then saw Andy's room on fire and then this guy running out of Andy's room. And he's like, got a blanket over himself. I ran out to the street and saw this red car driving away, end quote. Sarah also noticed that the red car's back window had a decal displaying Greek letters of the Lambda Chi Alpha Fraternity, a critical detail that helped police solve this case. So I will definitely circle back around to this piece of information. Meanwhile, Andrea's friends and roommates relentlessly called Andrea's name outside of her room, and the LA Times reported that they tried desperately to extinguish the flames until firefighters and medical personnel arrived. 
when first responders did arrive to Andrea's apartment, they discovered an incredibly gruesome, heart-wrenching scene. Andrea was found deceased, still lying in her bed, and her face and fingers were so badly burnt from the blaze that CNN reported she was initially listed as a Jane Doe until dental records positively identified her. And I know what some of you are thinking. Didn't police shine a flashlight into Andrea's room just 30 minutes before? Wouldn't they have seen her lying there? Well, CNN reported that they did not see Andrea or anyone lying in the bed when they shined their lights inside. One of the responding officers, seasoned veteran Rodell Sudeth, wrote in his report that his partner, Thomas Montague, shined a light into the bedroom. Sudeth wrote, quote, he observed the bed but no occupants, end quote. He also noted that his partner shined the light into the living room as well, but, quote, observed no one, end quote. So in that 30-minute window between when police initially responded to the first 911 call and when they arrived the second time, Andrea must have been moved or placed onto her bed. Investigators concluded that someone had broken into the apartment, attacked and stabbed Andrea before moving her to the bed, and then the person emptied the contents of a trash can on top of her body and lit it on fire. Deputy District Attorney Victor Avila said, quote, the killer tried to cover up his crime by setting her and her room on fire, end quote. An autopsy later revealed that Andrea's body was covered in stab wounds. She had been stabbed 19 times, some superficial cuts and others severe, including two three-inch deep cuts to her neck, both to her carotid arteries, which the coroner deemed rapidly fatal. The autopsy report noted that she was, quote, most likely deceased prior to ignition of the residential fire, end quote. CNN reported that the coroner concluded that there was an absence of soot in her airways and a low level of carbon monoxide in her blood. However, Andrea wasn't the only victim left to burn in the fire. Remember her dog, Shea Panda, who I mentioned earlier? Y'all, police arrived to not only find Andrea badly burned and deceased in her bed, but lying at the foot of the bed was her beloved pet. Shea Panda was alive, but severely charred and struggling to breathe, barely hanging on. The dog was taken to an emergency animal hospital, where Andrea's parents later made the tough decision to put Shea Panda down and let her go be with Andrea. But I do want to mention that when Andrea's parents, Leslie and Arthur Del Vesco, first learned of their daughter's death, all they knew was that she was gone. They didn't know the details. According to CNN, Andrea's parents flew into L.A. from Texas thinking their daughter had died in a fire, not that she had been brutally attacked, murdered, and then left to burn in a fire that was lit in a harebrained attempt to cover up evidence. When Leslie did learn about the horrific details surrounding Andrea's death, all she wanted to do was see her one last time, but police strongly urged against it. Leslie said, quote, I knew she was dead, but part of me didn't want to accept it until I had seen her. I just wanted to hold her one last time. And the police said, well, we cannot allow that until the autopsy has been completed, end quote. Andrea's parents did go to the animal hospital to see Shea Panda, though. Leslie said, quote, we all agreed that it was better if we just let Shea Panda go to join Andrea. We said goodbye to Shea Panda and sent her to kiss Andrea for us. And then it hit me. If Andrea was involved in that same fire, what her body must have looked like, end quote. Meanwhile, police got to work to figure out exactly who committed this heinous crime, as Andrea's sorority sisters were left to speculate how all of this could have happened to their dear friend. 
one of her PiFi sisters said, quote, she did not have a boyfriend at the time, so we thought it could have been a Tinder date gone wrong. Just thinking about the fear she must have gone through, I was just really scared, end quote. But police quickly drew in some promising leads. Emily Shapiro reported for ABC News that as officers swarmed campus and the apartment complex, two UCLA students who lived across the street from Andrea told police that their apartment had been burglarized. And police soon learned that this burglary happened around the same time that Sarah Muir had reported seeing a person in front of her apartment, you know, in that stairwell. The items stolen from the apartment across the street consisted of some laptop computers and a pair of Sonos speakers, speakers that must be registered online before they can be used. Well, lo and behold, two days after Andrea's murder, a representative from Sonos informed police that someone had tried to re-register the stolen speakers online using a new email address. That email address led detectives to a person in Fresno, California, and that person was the roommate of a man named Alberto Medina. When detectives went to visit the roommate, the guy told them that he had borrowed the speakers from Medina. Deputy DA Avila said, quote, Medina's roommate tells them that Alberto Medina was down in Los Angeles visiting a friend at UCLA that weekend, and that when he came back, he had these Sono speakers, end quote. So police brought in Medina for questioning. Medina, who was a 22-year-old student at Fresno State University at the time and had no criminal record, admitted to police that he did, in fact, steal the speakers, a laptop, and some alcohol from the apartment across the street. However, he proceeded to tell them that it was his friend, Eric Marquez, the one he was visiting, who killed Andrea, not him. But y'all, the police weren't buying any of it because the evidence from their investigation told a completely different story. First of all, Sarah Muir saw someone with a blanket around them, a red blanket to be exact, jumping over Andrea's balcony and fleeing the scene at around 7.01 a.m. Well, surveillance video showed both Medina and Marquez returning to Marquez's apartment at around 7.06 a.m. And guess who has that blanket still wrapped around him? Yes, Medina, not Marquez. Plus, Medina had several abrasions and scratches on him and Marquez had none. And Medina's car matched the description of the red car Sarah saw speeding away, even down to that critical detail of Medina's fraternity sticker displayed in his back window. What's more is that Andrea's DNA was recovered from blood smears found on Medina's red car, and they found a pair of women's underwear in Medina's house or apartment that Medina had most likely taken from Andrea's body. Additionally, they found the red blanket, Andrea's red blanket, actually, in Medina's room, as well as a bloody knife that matched the knife set from Andrea's apartment. So, as you can see, there is so much evidence pointing straight toward Alberto Medina. Avila explained to ABC News, quote, He stabbed her 19 times while she was screaming. Then he is able to remain in that room while police officers are investigating the disturbance from the first 911 call. He doesn't panic. He remains in the room and then thinks about how to destroy evidence. And he does so by setting her and her room on fire, end quote. As for Marquez, you know, Medina's friend who he was visiting, well, he told police that he was heavily intoxicated during the whole thing and had virtually no recollection of what exactly unfolded. Avila told ABC News that Marquez, quote, 
doesn't remember what's been shown to him on the surveillance video, and he can't remember the details of the critical hour when the murder happened, end quote. So, according to Avila, quote, there was insufficient evidence to show that Marquez knew exactly what happened inside Andrea Delvesco's apartment. We believe that it was best to settle the case with Marquez for something that was more appropriate to his conduct. Marquez pled guilty to aiding and abetting the burglary of Andrea Delvesco and accessory after the fact. He received a sentence of two years and eight months in state prison, end quote. Medina, on the other hand, was charged with Andrea's murder and his fate was left up to a jury in May of 2018. He was ultimately found guilty of murder, arson, burglary, and animal cruelty. Then, on September 21, 2018, three years to the day since Medina murdered Andrea, a Los Angeles County Superior Court judge deemed Medina, then 25, too dangerous to ever be released from prison, and Medina was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Judge Mark Wyndham said, quote, he brutally murdered a beautiful, innocent person. He seriously wounded an entire community. He must never walk free again, end quote. During Medina's sentencing hearing, though, Medina remained calm, cool, and collected, virtually showing no emotion or remorse whatsoever. And he provided zero answers to Andrea's family and friends as to why he committed such a gruesome, heinous crime. One of Andrea's close friends, Nicole Berggreen, said, quote, Where is his moral compass? He is a closed book. I thought I'd see some emotion on his face, or at least a flinch, end quote. Regardless, Medina's sentence did bring a little relief to Andrea's family. Leslie Delvesco said, quote, He can't atone for taking Andrea's life, but he did receive the maximum sentence, so I feel relieved that he can never hurt another person. It's what Andy would have wanted, end quote. Before I wrap up this episode, I do want to circle back around to those four police officers who responded to the scene. Scott Glover for CNN reported that Rodell Sudith, a 21-year seasoned veteran of the police force, and his rookie partner, Thomas Montague, were in one police cruiser, and Alicia Williams, another experienced officer of seven years, and her rookie trainee, Eric Tillett, were in the other police car. Naturally, when Andrea's parents, Leslie and Arthur, learned of the initial 911 call and exactly how these four officers handled or mishandled the situation, well, they had questions and concerns. However, when Arthur Delvesco communicated these concerns, he was, quote, very poorly received, end quote. He said he was vigorously rebuffed, and Leslie added that the LAPD made her husband feel uncomfortable for even asking the questions. Nonetheless, Andrea's parents were in complete shock and bewilderment that the officers left the apartment complex without even bothering to knock on their daughter's door. Leslie thinks that an earlier response might have saved her daughter from being so badly burned and unrecognizable. She said, quote, We could have seen Andrea as we remembered her, before her body was burned so badly that they needed dental records to identify her. I could have held her one last time, end quote. However, the responding officers were held accountable for their actions and how they responded to the initial 911 call Sarah Muir had made. CNN reported in 2016 that the officers were each directed to a separate Board of Rights hearing, which is an internal type of court proceeding in California for police officers who are facing any type of misconduct cases or like potential termination. 
CNN confirmed that both Seduth and Williams were each found guilty of misconduct, and both boards recommended termination. Consequently, Seduth was fired in May of 2016, and Williams' termination shortly followed in September of that year. But the two rookie officers still remain on the job. Andrea Andy Delvesco was a smart, beautiful, deeply empathetic person with a huge heart. In high school, she made straight A's, was a member of the National Honor Society, and a state spelling bee award winner. She was truly a kind soul who showed nothing but love and compassion to those around her as she was known to reach out to anyone who seemed troubled. She even spent her 16th birthday in Peru volunteering and helping villagers make shelters for guinea pigs. So, I want to leave you with some words from Andrea's mother, Leslie, who said, quote, Andrea was here to show us a deeper understanding of what love is. She taught me that love is boundless and infinite and for us all to treasure the moments that we do have with each other, end quote. Okay, y'all, that officially brings us to the end of Chronicle 45. As always, be sure to check out my social media, where I always post photos associated with each case and episode. You can find me at Campus Crime Podcast on Instagram and Campus Crime Chronicles on Facebook. So check me out on there and let me know what you think of this week's episode. You can also reach me by email at campuscrimepodcast at gmail.com. And you can check out my TikTok for some additional campus crime stories. Also, I keep saying this and I'll keep saying it till we get to 100 reviews. (laughs) But don't forget that that's my new goal, 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. So I still need y'all's help. So keep those ratings and reviews coming. Okay, well, that's all for today. So bye for now. Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Giari Gassaway. Tune in again in two weeks for the next Chronicle.